Please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. This time we will read just verses 1 through 3. First John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Hear once again the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is a spirit of the Antichrist which you have already, excuse me, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Once again, may God add a blessing to the reading of his word and now, congregation, to the preaching of his word. Well, once again, we are back in God's word this Lord's Day, 1 John chapter 4, and this will be the second sermon I'll be preaching on 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This sermon, we will deal with the why concerning the caution to test the spirits given to us by the beloved Apostle John here in this fourth chapter. The why. So the sermon is titled, Why We Test the Spirits. And there are three reasons set forth here in God's Word This Lord's Day. The first is laid out in verse one because of the false prophets. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Past tense already has occurred, church. Thus, we must examine the spirits as there have been many professing the name of Christ that are prophesying falsely about him. Second, the second reason we must examine the spirits are because of the false confessors. By this you know that the the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, again, emphasizing the doctrine of the incarnation, is of God, meaning they are of us. But those spirits, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, meaning congregation, there are spirits, there are those who are confessing falsely about the Lord Jesus Christ, false confessors. Therefore, we must test the spirits. And then finally, the spirit of the Antichrist, because of the false spirit. There is a spirit of the age, a spirit that roams to and fro, one that is of their father, the devil, or his father, the devil, the spirit of the Antichrist. This is the third reason we must receive this caution by faith, 
and heed it rather seriously. So let's go ahead and again jump into the text. In the last sermon on this passage, we considered the first two verses primarily, which consist of the wisdom rooted in the law of God in receiving the person that comes and bears the name of God in his or her preaching or teaching. And then subsequently we considered the true test of faith in such an examination that is the doctrine of the incarnation and what the person says about our Savior. In other words, we considered the caution given here in this passage and how we are to evaluate those that seek to teach or get our attention with the word of God. And in this, we concluded that this is a matter of the first table of the law, the third commandment given to us by God to preserve his holy name and all that which has surrounded it. We have an obligation before the Lord to set apart the things concerning him and give them proper reverence. This includes receiving his word, or even in this case, beloved, worshiping the Lord by hearing the word of God. We must remember, you must remember especially, that we are worshiping the Lord when we hear the word of God. It is not just the minister preaching the word that is worshiping God, but the congregation together as they hear and, yes, examine the things of the Lord. We may conclude, therefore, examining the things of the Lord is a matter of proper worship. We are here this afternoon as those who call upon his name, showing him the reverence that the third commandment requires of us. Certainly, we are not doing it perfectly, as we have heard this morning by way of our law gospel reading, but we are commanded to do so, and indeed we are doing it. This is no different than when we receive the word of God. We need to be likewise careful when we speak of the things of Christ. So to begin again, we assume what is being mentioned already, that we are to be cautious as, as those who are receiving the things of the Lord. And there are many reasons we concluded in the first sermon that the third commandment, the law, is first and foremost the foundational reason. Perhaps it is the main and the chief one we can even say But by way of verses 1 through 3 here in 1 John 4, it is certainly not the only reason that the Christian is to be cautious with regards to receiving the things of the Lord. John actually gives us more reasons, as it were, as the church, to be mindful of such things. So I want us to go ahead and pick up where we left off and consider these three brief points, beginning with The first one, we are to be cautious, examine the spirits because of the false teachers. Verse one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In the opening verse of this chapter, the beloved apostle John mentions the first practical reason as to why the church must 
examine the spirits, and that reason is the false prophets or false teachers that were on the prowl doing their work of the father, of their father, the devil. Those who were prophesying falsely concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Many in the first century were seeking to deceive, devour, and divide the church with their false teachings. The church and this whole concept of division was very, very, very prevalent in the first and second century. The church was easily divided. And one of the reasons they were improperly divided was by way of false doctrine coming from the mouths of false teachers, many of which walked in the very days of our Lord Jesus Christ, some of which he himself even called out. He describes the coming of these false teachers or false prophets to his own disciples when he says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves or ravenous wolves. And these are men or even women that prophesy falsely. And there are two ways in which this word uh, prophecy or prophesy is to be considered. Both are related yet distinct. The first uh, deals with those who come prophesying falsely regarding supernatural acts. So here the scriptures may refer to those coming in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and speaking of the things of the Lord with reference to supernatural acts or supernatural things. There are two examples of this, one in the old and then one in the new. The first we see in Jeremiah where the Lord says to Jeremiah, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. So he is giving instruction to Jeremiah as a prophet to warn Israel. What, are, what is the warning concerning? False prophecy. And he, the Lord says directly that there are prophets prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. In other words, the Lord says, such persons have nothing to do with me. And church, likewise, were the persons in the first century that's, that John is warning the church of, have nothing to do with such people because such people have nothing to do with the Lord. But notice further what the Lord says to Jeremiah about these false prophets. He says, they are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own mind. So their false prophecies, the Lord says, consists of supernatural things or supernatural acts. Things like God appeared to me in a dream or I had a vision of the Lord. Such things said by uh, men and women in the church in the first century were to be flagged immediately according to the words of the apostle here in 1 John chapter 4. Likewise is the case today. If someone comes up to me and says, I saw a vision of God, 
I'm immediately going to be skeptical. I'm immediately going to think he's foolish, honestly. It's immediately what I'm going to think, right? And likewise, the Lord would say the same thing in the New Testament for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders. For what purpose? To deceive, if possible, even the elect. So to prophesy falsely may be done with things already revealed. They will send destructive heresies. They will introduce destructive heresies. In other words, the false prophets or false teachers will bring things to the people of God in the name of the Lord that contain a misuse of the scriptures. What is it to misuse the scriptures? It's to violate God's third commandment. Again, showing the root of all of this in that third word. And what will these folks look like? Well, again, the warnings that we see in the New Testament, not just here in 1 John 4, but in other places in the scriptures, tell us these are men or women that come to us in the appearance of a sheep. And really, what is the first sign of a sheep's appearance? Well, they say things that sound like a sheep. So they say the things of the Lord. I'm a Christian. I believe in this. I believe in that. That's the first appearance. So we must conclude from this point alone that it is not enough to receive somebody on the name of on the basis of name alone. It is not enough to just receive somebody. That is why, for example, churches when 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 they have men or women visiting or families visiting, there is a process of examination before they can join the church, because it's not enough merely to say, "I'm a Christian, therefore receive me." Now it may be true, and oftentimes is true, that they are believers. But there has to be a point of examination, as it were. And secondly, these these, uh, false prophets or false teachers are men and women inwardly that have not the illumination of the Holy Spirit, but hold tight schemes of evil against God and his people. So first and foremost, what do these, these false teachers look like? Well, they... They resemble Christians in some sense in that they say Christian-type things, do Christian-type things. But where, where the evaluation really is concluded is by whether or not they have the same spirit that we have, whether they have the Holy Spirit, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Are these men or women being led by God? who leads all of us to truth. So what do we do when we have evaluated such false teachers and and concluded that these teachers may be false? Well, again, as I mentioned in the first sermon, we must not receive them. We must not receive their teachings We must not receive them in the name of the Lord, and further, they must be rebuked. 
Second, John makes it clear to the church that there will be within these false teachers, but not limited to, some in the church that speak things about Christ and confess his name, but do so in a false manner. They will say, Jesus this or Jesus that, but know not the Son of glory. And again, this will be evident by what they say about the incarnation. Brothers and sisters, this is really the question when it comes to anyone that seeks to teach the things of God, the heart of the gospel. Let's start with the basics. What do you say about the person and work of Christ? What do they say about the most important aspect of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ? Namely, the blessed truth that the second person of the Trinity took upon himself our flesh so that you and I may receive forgiveness that we do not deserve. This is a doctrine that we cannot mess up, church. That is why it's worth the years and hundreds, hundreds of years of debate and discussion. This is why it is worth considering in not one sermon, but two sermons on a Lord's Day. It is a doctrine that we must hold fast. It is so critical, the incarnation, to the Christian faith that the Apostle Paul says, if this doctrine is not true, then we are a people to be pitied. But thanks be to God that he has sent his son and that his son, as that sign that I drove past this afternoon, this morning said, will return again and will return for you and I. Moving away from just false teachers or false prophets here for a moment, this is one of those primary doctrines that we want to hear confessed by every Bible-believing Christian. It is a non-negotiable. Again, who do you say that I am? And if it's not very God, very man, we reject it, church. Now again, I'm not saying if, if the Christian doesn't use precise, exact confessional language, then we are not to receive him or her as a brother or sister in Christ. The substance of the doctrine is meant here, that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is man, one glorious person that came together for one glorious purpose. The understanding of this doctrine is even more so required amongst teachers. It is even more so required amongst teachers. And this is not an opinion, beloved. This is not an opinion. When you consider the words of Paul to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, He tells the Corinthian church that the ministers in the New Testament are entrusted with the mysteries, plural, of God. These are the weightier things of God, like the sacraments, for example, or the examination of the doctrine of the Blessed Trinity, or even here, the incarnation. The ministers of the gospel, those who teach the things of the gospel, are required to have a greater knowledge of the things of the gospel. This is true, but they are not the only ones. As, Paul, as, as John would not have written to the entire church 
and, and caution them about false teachers and false prophets and the spirit of the Antichrist if it was the only the minister that was required to examine. With all of this said, the examination that is called by the church may still prove to be difficult and has. Over the last 2,000 years, there have been many that have crept in the church and have done great harm to the church Catholic. Many have crept into local churches and done great harm. Many of you have experienced perhaps a false teacher or a false convert, a false professor, causing havoc to a local church. So this examination has still proven to be difficult. Yet we still must press on to consider the words of the Lord here. One way to identify whether one is prophesying falsely or teaching falsely for a layperson is to ask questions. What do you mean by that? Can you explain that to me? Do you mind clarifying? This is one of the most helpful uh, tools when evaluating something that's being said. What do you mean by that? These are all good questions we must ask. And some will reveal, these questions will reveal the very issues with those proclaiming the things of the Lord. This particular caution concerning false teachers and false prophets is still equally as necessary today. For many reasons, you have men and women in the church, in the church Catholic, uh, proclaiming things like financial prosperity in the name of the Lord, proclaiming things like face-to-face encounters with the name of the Lord, proclaiming things like miracles, performance of miracles in the name of the Lord. And the way the church is to handle these things, again, is to examine them, acknowledge that they are false from the scriptures, and conclude that we want nothing to do with them. Then lastly, we see, because of the false spirits, because of the false spirits, notice again, 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many False prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. We may sum up this evaluation of those who are outside of Christ as this evaluation of falsehood, of false teachings, false confessions, of a false spirit, by a spirit that is not of God. And it is not merely that we are saying that the spirit, the one that teaches in the name of God, 
that is prophesying falsely is merely wrong. We are saying they are opposed to Christ. They are anti-Christ, anti-God. They are a false spirit. This is why it is necessary for us to rebuke those who bear false witness in the name of the Lord. It is not merely, I would, I would argue even that it is unloving that we listen to somebody prophesy the things of the Lord falsely and say nothing if we are able to reason with them. If we are able to speak the truth in love, that word is, the first word there is speak. We are to do something. Many, many in the church in the first century were false prophets going to and fro, trying to deceive. And how were their, how were their false prophecies examined and evaluated? By true believers equipped by the Spirit of God speaking the truth in love. This is likewise the case. We must speak the truth in love because it is a spirit that is false. There's a different spirit, in other words, and that is ultimately all that matters. The spirit that is, that is attempting to proclaim the things of the Lord to you must not be received because it is not the spirit of God. There's only the spirit of God that leads us to all truth, and it is the spirit of falsehood, the spirit of antichrist that has led so many and and continues to lead so many astray. There are other spirits, in other words, brothers and sisters, that are not of Christ, but instead seek to deceive and destroy. We have seen this time and time again throughout the last 2,000 years with false religions, whether it be the Roman Catholic Church, whether it be the Jehovah's Witnesses, whether it be the Mormons. There is a spirit that is of Christ that preserves his people, that flourishes when two or more are gathered. And there is a spirit that is not of God. The spirit that is not of God must be rejected. And this spirit that is in the world, that goes to and fro, that continues to destroy, divide, will be here until the return of Christ. This is, brings me back to what I was considering in my drive up here this morning and seeing that sign concerning the return of Christ. How does the message this Lord's Day, how do all of our messages on this Lord's Day equip our people to prepare for the return of their Savior even now? Well, again, I point you to the various false Christs that are roaming to and fro and all the false doctrines that are being spewed out of the mouths of those with unregenerate hearts. 
And I submit to you that such spirits will be to and fro until the return of our Lord. Therefore, you and I must be on guard until the return of our Lord. We must, in other words, beloved, heed the caution in Scripture by way of 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And John has already dealt with the doctrine of the Antichrist up to this point in the first letter. He's already laid out this doctrine for the church, as it were, as one who seeks to exalt himself above even Christ. And there are many that come to mind historically. There are many that come to mind even today. But we must remember again, it comes down to that doctrine, the doctrine of the incarnation. As John has already written earlier in the letter, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And the one who denies the Son, as Scripture has made very clear, also denies the Father. So again, beloved, we come back to that all-important question that was asked to the blessed Peter. Who do you say that I am? Let us meditate on this important question this Lord's Day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this blessed Lord's Day this blessed time of worship, fellowship, of praise and adoration unto the one true God. Indeed, Lord, what a blessing it is to worship you. It's not just a mere command. It's not just a mere act. Oh, Lord, how we desire to worship you according to your word sing your praises, rest in the day that you have ordained, and glorify your holy name. We pray, Lord, that the name of Christ would be exalted as we continue to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto you. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.